0: Please turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13 is found on page 1170. Um, We're slowly making our way through this chapter. It's a chapter with a lot going on in it and um, not always the easiest to work out exactly what. Let's read Mark chapter 13 and our verses are 14 to 23. So listen to God's word. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing where it ought not, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down into the house nor take anything out of his house. Let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days, And pray that your flight may not be in winter, for in those days there will be tribulation, such as has not been seen since the beginning of creation, which God created until this time, nor ever shall be. And unless the Lord has shortened those days, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake whom he chose, he shortened the days. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or Luke, he is there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. But take heed, see, I have told you all things beforehand. Amen. May God bless us the reading of his word. Well, when having a baby in Belfast, uh, the process is that once you are in labor, you have to call the hospital ahead of time, ahead of you arriving at the hospital, and they would ask you a variety of questions to find out how far along you are in your labor, and if they don't think that you're far enough advanced, you're told not to come. You have to wait longer until the labor has progressed more. Well, in our passage today, we are learning about labor pains that the world would have to go through, and it's as if Christ is saying, yes, you are in labor, you are in pain, but you're not yet far enough on. The baby is not coming yet. Jesus is not going to return right at this moment, even though it appears to be the end of the world. And so Christ gives us these clear details to encourage his people to persevere, to not give up, and to instead trust him. So I want you to notice, it's not the end of the world until Christ returns. And so in the meantime remember that he is in control. That he keeps you his people secure. So firstly, Christ is preparing you for future tribulation. And this is uh, the longest of my points this afternoon. So chapter 13 of Mark's Gospel is a clear prophecy in response to the disciples' questions as to when these things will happen. Uh, When would the temple be destroyed? When would Christ return? When would be the end of the age? And they understood that all of this would happen at the same time. And so Jesus gives this explicit prophecy of the fall of Jerusalem and also his return. They would be two different events. They would happen at two different times. But what makes it difficult is that he interweaves these two major events in this chapter. And it's not always easy to work out exactly which event that Jesus is speaking about. And as a result, there are a variety of interpretations to Mark chapter 13. But the passage we're looking at this afternoon, verses 14 to 23, seems to be very clearly describing the destruction of Jerusalem. And we especially get this from Luke's account of Jesus' teaching, which goes into more detail. And you have that in your handout. Let's read that Luke chapter 23, verse 20. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, let those who are in the midst of her depart, and let not those who are in the country enter her. For these are the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days, for there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away, captive into all nations." And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So let's consider uh, Luke and Mark's prophecy in more detail. We read of this abomination of desolations. And Jesus says that this is a reference to Daniel, Daniel 12. Here Daniel prophesies of one coming who would put a stop to the sacrifices in Jerusalem. An abomination is when you replace the worship of God with the worship of a false god. And we read of Solomon doing this in 1 Kings 11. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, on the hill that is east of Jerusalem, and for Moloch, the abomination of the people of Ammon. And again, we read of abomination in Ezekiel 5. Therefore, as I live, says the Lord God, surely... Because you have defiled my sanctuary with all your detestable things and with all your abominations, therefore I will diminish you, my I will not spare, nor will I have any pity. The Jews therefore believed that Daniel was prophesying of one who would come, and that they would do this terrible abomination. And they believed this happened when Antiochus, Epiphanes, conquered Jerusalem. He wanted to make Jerusalem a Greek city. He forbade the practice of circumcision or the offering of sacrifices. And instead, he forced the sacrifice of a pig, an unclean animal in the temple. Something very offensive to the Jews. He erected a statue of the Greek god Zeus in the temple and he established a brothel in the temple chambers. Hughes writes, the abomination caused the Jews to abandon the temple for a while until their successful revolt. But Jesus in verse 14, he speaks of the abomination of desolation from Daniel as either still to come or that this prophecy from Daniel will be fulfilled again. We read in verse 14 that the abomination would be standing where it ought not. In Luke's gospel, or Matthew's Gospel, we read that it would be standing in the holy place. And in Luke's Gospel, we read, But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. Well, in 66 AD, Jerusalem was surrounded by the Roman army, seeking to lay siege to the city. They were seeking to squash the zealots, These zealots had the successful nationalistic campaign against the Roman occupation of Judea. These zealots had stopped Judea from paying taxes to Rome. But within the city of Jerusalem, these zealots had occupied the temple. Hughes writes, they permitted criminals to enter the Holy of Holies. They committed murders in the temple. Finally, they crowned their sacrilege with a circus-like investiture of one Fanny, who, according to Josephus, was such a clown that he scarcely knew what the priesthood meant. And it's possible that the abomination of desolations is what these zealots were doing in the temple. These zealots were only politically motivated. They seemed to have no concern for keeping religion. They allowed the temple to be desecrated. And that's not that surprising since the temple had already become, as Jesus had said, a den of robbers. And so Jesus is warning his disciples that when you see this happening, when you see the armies of Rome gathering, it is time to flee. Now the other possibility is that the abomination of desolation is Rome itself. When the temple was destroyed... The soldiers, the Roman soldiers, they planted their staffs on the ruins of the temple. And these staffs had an eagle image on top, pointing to the rule of the Roman emperor. And then the Romans offered sacrifices to these images, which was seen as a sacrilege by the Jews. But surely if the temple had been destroyed, wouldn't it be too late for the Jews to now escape at this point? Well, there are accounts that during the siege, the Cestius Gallus, who was in charge, he suspended the siege. He stopped the attack. He withdrew his armies. He recognized that the zealots who were keeping hold of the people of Jerusalem against their will. And so he delayed taking the city. And at that time, every believing Jew, they had the opportunity to flee the city just as Jesus instructed them. Either way, Jesus is warning his disciples that when you see the temple defiled, when you see Rome amass its armies, you are to flee. Well, how are they to flee? Well, we see they are to do it quickly. I remember a fire safety advertisement on TV. The slogan was, get out, stay out, Call 999. That's the equivalent of 911. And you're not to go back in. It's too great a risk. And likewise for the Christians here in Jerusalem, when they saw that the attack was imminent, when they saw turmoil happening in the temple, they were to flee to the mountains. They were not to go back for belongings. They, were, they had no time to get their clothes. Josephus records the Jews leaving as like swimmers departing a sinking ship, meaning they did leave everything behind. The church historian Eusebius writes, The whole body of the church at Jerusalem, having been commanded by a divine revelation, given to men of approved piety there before the war, removed from the city and dwelt at a certain town beyond the Jordan called Pella." Well, it's no wonder that Jesus says, woe to those who are pregnant, to those who are nursing children. These mothers would not be able to leave quickly or as quickly as the rest. And they would be in this terrible dilemma. Should I stay or should I go? And Remember, cities were seen as places of refuge. When an invading army comes into your country, your goal would be to seek refuge in the city safe behind the city walls. And so Jesus is saying to do the opposite of what you would want to do, to go against your instinct. He says, pray that your flight would not be in winter. In winter, the last place you would want to go is up a mountain. But that is actually the place of safety. This is where you should go, even though it doesn't seem like the wisest. When The Titanic was sinking. There were accounts of those who were initially too afraid to get into the tiny, precarious lifeboats and be lowered into the middle of the North Atlantic. They thought they would be safer remaining on board the the ship and wait for rescue there. But we all know that that would have been a terrible choice to make. And likewise, to remain in Jerusalem would have been a terrible choice. Verse 19, Jesus describes this tribulation as being so great that the world has never seen anything like it before, nor will they ever see anything like it again. Now, there has been some terrible atrocities committed during world history. When we think of what happened under Nazi Germany or Soviet Russia, but the siege of Jerusalem was unlike anything ever recorded. And the historian Josephus writes extensively about the siege of Jerusalem. Not only were the Romans attacking the city of Jerusalem, but Jerusalem itself was in the middle of a civil war. These, and there were terrible atrocities that the Jews committed to their own fellow countrymen. The siege was so terrible that Josephus writes of a mother killing and eating her own child, But the Romans also committed terrible atrocities against the Jews. During the siege, 500 Jews were crucified every day for several months. And the result was over 1 million Jews were killed, and 100,000 taken captive, many of whom would then die in the arenas. So these verses are clearly speaking of the tribulation that happened in Jerusalem in 70 AD but you're also to be prepared for tribulation. So secondly, notice you're to watch out, for this tribulation is found both inside and outside of the church. Now, what does this passage mean for us today? Is this even relevant to us today? What does it mean for Mark and for his readers in Rome? Well, while we see Jesus' words being fulfilled there continues to be abomination of desolation throughout history. Mark's readers in Rome, they obviously saw the emperor in this way. The emperor saw himself as God. The emperor put Christians to death in his attempt to prove that he is greater than the Christian's God. Men like these are a form of antichrist. Anyone who opposes Christ or puts themselves up in the place of Christ is Antichrist. And Jesus mentions this, these false Christs coming in verses 21 and 22. And we see how they are powerful and how they are deceptive. And they point forward to the day when the ultimate Antichrist, the man of lawlessness, will come. But even he will be destroyed when Christ returns. So as a result, you are to expect tribulation. You are to expect difficulty from those who are against Christ. And sadly, that difficulty comes not only from, out, from outside the church, from the world, but also from within the church. Even within the church, there are those who are opposed to Christ by replacing him with something else. The worship is not focused on him. Today, too often, the focus is on the people. Give the people what they want. That's the thinking in most churches. Churches use a business model, and they treat the congregation like customers, and so they seek customer loyalty. And so we need to be very careful. But while we do want to be warm and welcoming, we never want to compromise the truth. That's why you need to take heed. You are to watch out that you do not fall. We need to keep watching, meaning you are to question, you are to consider what it is we are doing. Even here at church, is it focused on God? Is our worship focused on praising God? Or are we bringing a desolation before God? Jesus said the same in Matthew 26. Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. This temptation is real. And so we must watch out. But tribulation is also found from the world. And increasingly, we see this today. The world's values are opposed, are against God's values. And therefore, you must remain faithful to God, not to this world. And for the Jews, that meant fleeing Jerusalem, leaving behind all their belongings, now, too often we are attached to the things of this world. They distract us from what is really important. I was watching a documentary on the pyramids in Giza and how the Egyptian uh, pharaohs they were buried with their belongings, even their slaves, even some of the most important people in their court. So even in the face of death, they were completely distracted by thinking of all the things they would take with them. We're not much better. We are too busy amassing more and more things that only become a distraction. No, you should be ready to leave it all behind. There is nothing in this world that is worth holding on to. You should be ready to flee. You cannot do that when you are attached to the things of this world. So be ready for tribulation. And this tribulation can be found both inside and outside of the church. Resolve to remain faithful. Well, thirdly, notice Jesus is the true prophet. You are to trust him. Now, 9-11 is one of those days where everyone in the world remembers where they were at, what they were doing when they heard the news of the terrorist attacks. And it was a day of unimaginable evil affecting innocent civilians. It was a day that changed history. No more so than in New York City. How would the people of New York rebound after such an atrocity? Well, much credit was given to New York's mayor, Rudy Giuliani. And in his public statements, Giuliani mirrored the emotion of the New Yorkers. He expressed his shock, his sadness, his anger, his desire for justice to be done to those responsible. And he resolved to rebuild, saying, tomorrow, New York is going to be here. Well, likewise, Christ is saying there is going to be a tomorrow. Yes, there will be hardship. You will no longer have the physical temple in Jerusalem. But that is not the end. And the fact that Jesus gives such a detailed prophecy is no accident. He even says in verse 23, See, I have told you all things beforehand. And so Jesus is pointing to the fact that he is the true prophet. In the book of Deuteronomy, Moses describes how there will be one that will come like him. And so he gives instructions as to how you will identify this prophet. Deuteronomy 18, verses 21. And he says, If you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass... That is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. Well, what Jesus has said did come to pass. Now, imagine if the Jewish believers in Jerusalem decided to ignore Jesus' warning here. They decided to stay in the city of Jerusalem rather than escape the siege. Imagine they thought to themselves this is my home. It's been my home for thousands of years. I will not be moved. Well, they would have all perished and the church would have been decimated. But instead, they heeded Christ's prophecy. And the result was they knew safety and the church would continue. And so they were right to trust the word of Christ. Now, remember, Mark is writing to believers in Rome. Well, what an encouragement to these Christians. Facing persecution, to see what Christ says, or what Christ has said, it came true. That his word is reliable. And therefore, if Christ says they will be safe, they will be safe. Remember, these Christians in Rome, they were facing attack, they were being arrested. They must have wondered is this how is all going to end? They must have been filled with doubt at times. But they are reminded of Christ's prophecies of tribulation. But that did not mean the end. He provides safety. In him they are secure. And he gives you these words to remind you when tribulation comes, you must hold on to this truth. Christ the prophet promised hardship and difficulty. But he also promised his grace to persevere to the end. So this prophecy and it being fulfilled just as Jesus has said, it demonstrates how Jesus is trustworthy. It is right for us to fear and to trust him as our Lord. Well, fourthly, notice Christ is king and him you are secure. Jesus is prophesying the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple and would be the Romans, these pagans who believed in false gods, who lived immoral lives, Who would be the ones to do it? Just imagine what this would have looked like. The temple, which symbolized God being with his people, being destroyed by pagans. This would be the end of their sacrifices. The priests were slaughtered. It would have appeared that God does not exist, or that God does not care, or that God is weak. But this prophecy... Jesus Christ was to help prepare the church this is not the case yes hardship is ahead there would be false teachers there would be persecution but it's not because God is weak and cannot do anything about it no it's because it's part of his plan it's part of his purpose it's also part of his plan that they would persevere and they would endure to the end verse 20, we see this promise that the Lord shortened the days of the siege of Jerusalem. Otherwise, no one would be saved. Why did he do this? Well, we read for the sake of the elect. Those whom he chose, he shortened the days. And here we are reminded that Christ is more than a prophet. Christ is king. He is the one in charge. At times, it may not look like this. When the temple was destroyed, it would have been easy to doubt. But this attack did not destroy the Jerusalem church. Yes, they had to relocate. But the church is always more than a location. Jerusalem as a city was not so important that it could not be left behind. And we often get so attached to particular locations or to particular buildings. But God is not restricted by location. And that's seen clearly throughout church history. The church moved out of Jerusalem to the Middle East, to cities like Antioch and Alexandria and what would now be Istanbul. And these were central locations for Christianity. Today, they are gone. And it moved much further west to Rome, to Geneva, to London. But again, these places are all a shadow of what they once were. And it's moved further west again. To the U.S. And we are in the middle of a transition where Christianity has, is on the decline. But it's moved again to places like China and Iran and parts of Africa. Here we see Christianity flourishing. And so Christ is king. He is ruling over all the world. He is in complete control. Now, yes, we can lament the decline of the church here in the West. But we can also have joy. We can have confidence that God is building his church elsewhere. For where God has his people, he will protect them. And so you, as one of his elect, you are secure. The church will continue to survive. And so as one of God's elect, you are to have confidence in your king. And that confidence is evident when you obey your king. For the Jews here in this passage... It meant leaving Jerusalem. For Peter and John, that meant preaching the gospel, even when the Sanhedrin told them to stop. For Paul, that meant traveling to Jerusalem, for he was to be a witness in that city, even though it would mean his death. These were not easy callings. They involved much hardship, but they were secure in doing them. God looked after them. And so God will call you to do hard things, but he will also keep you secure in that. And so in these last days, these days that have continued for 2,000 years now, you are to expect tribulation. You're not to be surprised by birth pains, but you're to also remember this is not the end of the world, not until Christ returns. So in the meantime, remember that he is in control and that he will keep you secure. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for uh, this passage. We thank you for this glimpse of history that we see, that you prophesied about and how it came completely true. And we are reminded that you have promised hardship and tribulations. And so, Lord, when they come, Lord, that we would not doubt, that we would not give up hope, But instead, that we would persevere in your strength. Help us, Lord, to see that you are accomplishing your purposes. And remind us, Lord, that we are secure. Even when our eyes tell us differently, Lord, we know the truth. And so, Lord, remind us of this. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please turn in your psalm book to Psalm 74b. Psalm 74 speaks of being persecuted, of facing tribulation. But the second half of the psalm, it speaks of vindication. Likewise in Christ, we too are secure. So let's sing this psalm, remembering our salvation is in the Lord. So let's stand and sing Psalm 74b.